listeners, and welcome to a new year and a new season of Extra Extra It's All About Whiskey. Each episode, Joshua Hatton, hello. Hello, hello, hello. And myself get together. We bring a whiskey news story to the attention of the other. Mm-hmm. We read it in the first half. We riff on it in the second half. And we try to get out of here in a tight 35 or so minutes. <sighs> 30 feels like a remnant from a bygone yeah, era. Yeah, that's, so, that's days gone by. I'm not going to lie to our listeners. We're just going to say we aim for a tight 35 minutes. I'm not going to bring in a new 40 number. I'm not going to use the old 30 number. We aim for a tight 35 minutes, Joshua Hatton. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens uh, at the beginning of 2023. See what that number looks like then. <laughs> Not that you're claiming this is the start of 2023. No, I'm saying this is the start of 2022, and we went from 30, 30 to 35 to 35. What's going to happen in 2023? Do we increase it from, does it become a 35 to 40? That's all. No. Okay. We're not making any changes to time. We're not going to make any changes to our claims. There you go. Let's let's say this. Mm. Let's see what the future holds, Joshua. Oh, I like that. I, li- I like that because <laughs> it seems positive to me, and I could use a little positivity in my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> so and, anyway, with our eyes on a tight 35 minutes, uh-huh. we do have uh, an article to get to. We didn't decide before hitting record which one of us was bringing this article to the attention of the other. We've really been discussing this on and off, passing things back and forth with one another, amongst one another, between one another. Betwixt. For, betwixt. (laughs) The beast with two backs? What's happening? (laughs) All of this sudden? Anywho, this has become one nation under whiskey. (laughs) No, no, revert. Which one of us is bringing this to the attention of the other? You know what? I feel like reading. I feel like using my my visual and uh, uh, spoken word skills to to make this happen. Are you okay with that? Yeah, as long as you've got the the extra time to edit. I do. I'm okay with it. <laughs> A little dig there. Thank you for that. <laughs> so this article comes to us from the Lane Report, L-A-N-E, which is known as Kentucky's business news source since 1985. I can only read that in a Ron Burgundy voice in my head. Oh, let's hear it aloud. No, thank you. Uh, Or the narrator's voice from Ron Burgundy would be more accurate. Well, this is an article that has been on everybody's computers, on everybody's lips, and has been likely the topic of conversation for the past week or more. And the headline reads, American White Oak struggles to regenerate. And the author, Ryan Van, not Winkle, but Van Veltzer, writes, American white oak trees used in bourbon barrels to impart the brown liquor's color and flavor are struggling to regenerate across the eastern U.S., including Kentucky. Shifting Mm -hmm. land management practices and changes in forest ecology have made it difficult for white oak seedlings and saplings to take root and grow into mature trees. Climate change and invasive insects have played a role as well. Mm -hmm. A new study has found that without intervention, the American white oak will begin to significantly decline in the next decade. That's scary business. That... uh, I have some things to say in the uh, in in the second half, and I'm sure you may have 
similar observations. But you and me both. Yeah. Its authors, the White Oak Initiative, represent a diverse coalition of industries, conservation groups, government agencies, and universities working together to preserve a keystone species important to both biodiversity and business. Quote, it's valuable for a number of wildlife species, it's valuable for economic use, and as a big part of our forest component. The quote continues, oh wait, that's weird. Yeah, just, it is, isn't it? You just put a random quote sign in the middle yeah. of the sentence. So anyway, the quote continues, uh, it anchors a lot of what's going on in our forest and resources we get off of it. End quote, says Jeff Stringer, chair of Department of Forestry and National Resources at the University of Kentucky and co-founder of the White Oak Initiative. The story continues. American white oak trees grow on more than 100 million acres of forest across the eastern and central U.S. According to an assessment and conservation plan, the White Oak Initiative released this winter. Surveyors found 75% of all white oak acres in U.S. forests should be classified as mature. About 60% had no white oak seedlings present, and about 87% had no white oak saplings present, according to the assessment. The assessment says that means there are extensive regions of the country where other species will grow up in place of the white oaks that die or are harvested. Stringer said in some ways it's part of the natural evolution of the forest. White oaks thrive in areas with disturbance. Think fires, grazing, and logging, he said. Young white oaks often have trouble competing in mature oak forests. There, species like beech and maple do well growing in the shade of canopy, he said. Quote, and that goes on forever unless something happens, he said. And the quote continues, what we are seeing here in the loss of our oaks and white oaks is related to that. That natural evolution of the forest under different conditions than when they started out, end quote. That's a problem for wildlife, hunters, and a number of industries. White oak acorns are a source of food for deer and turkeys, and their trunks provide roosts for bats. The wood is important for furniture, flooring, cabinetry, and a variety of wine and spirits, not least of which is bourbon, an $8.6 billion <laughs> industry in Kentucky. I, I like how they specify it's $8.6 billion in Kentucky alone. Right. Yeah. And as we're going through that, it's furniture, flooring, cabinetry. And it's, it's kind of like, what kind of numbers are you talking in each of those industries? Because mm -hmm. I know when we get to spirits, that's going to be a big number. 8.6 billion, billion in Kentucky. Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. That's fucking huge. Yep. Yep. Uh, we're we're sort of getting close to the end. I, I would say we're maybe sixty percent of the way done. So let, yeah, let's continue. I'm digging it. Keep going. Yeah, I'm happy. That's why several bourbon distillers have joined the White Oak Initiative, including Brown Foreman, which plans to purchase fifty percent of its logs from sustainably managed forests by 2035. 
Quote, so for us, one of the things we are working on with this White Oak Initiative is to say, and then there's sort of a quote within a quote, how do we find a way to incentivize landowners to care for their forests in a manner that allows white oaks to continue to thrive? End quote, end quote. So I ended the quote inside of a quote that was ending. Said Alex Alvarez, Brown Foreman, Chief Production and Sustainability Officer. An assessment of Kentucky's northern Cumberland Plateau found the area still has a significant supply of white oak, but there's room for improvement. The Kentucky Division of Forestry is working with landowners to encourage and incentivize sustainable forest management and limit poor harvesting practices. Stringer with University of Kentucky said, Whatever happens, Kentucky is always going to have white oak. Right now, though, over 50% of Kentucky's white oak stands aren't regenerating. He says that's why the white oak initiative is important, to plan for the future of the species. And it ends with a quote here. The white oak initiative helps to ensure that policymakers know that white oak is important, that money needs to be there from federal government, to provide farmers and woodland owners with money to help do sort of, and then in brackets, sustainable practices, Stringer said. That's it. That's the article, Jason. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack here. We're going to take a very short intermission and we'll be right back. Part two the intermission. of Extra Extra. Look at them. I wanted to attach some additional context that we that we didn't really talk about before you, you started reading this. But earlier this week, you sent me, you, Joshua, sent mm. me, Jason, uh, a food and wine article that referred back to this Lane Report piece. Mm-hmm. Listener David Feldner, very kind chap and and uh, nation supporter, thank you, David, sent us an article from Tasting Table that made reference to this article. To, to the one we and read or to the food and wine he, one? To the Lane Report. Ah, okay. And so the reason we went with the Lane Report is because we had two separate articles being bounced around from this week that both made reference to an article from last week. You know, January 4 is the date on the Lane Report. Mm. And at our time of recording, the Lane Report piece had 922 views. That's so interesting. And it's the source for food and wine. It's the source for Tasting Table. As you said in the first half, it's been the source for a number of articles this week. Mm-hmm. But let's give credit to Ryan Van Velzer, the original source, who makes reference to the study itself and spoke to the authors of the study. So I'm really pleased that that's the one you read today, that that's the one that we can put in front of our listeners as well. But sincerely, thanks to David for thinking of us when he saw it in the tasting table. Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. 
So yeah. with that additional context in place, I, I know that my mind tends towards somewhat the philosophical here. Okay. And so I, I know a point that I want to raise with you, but from you first encountering this, reading this as going over the Lane Report, what's something that first captures your attention? What, what has you thinking here? Well, actually, when I, when I first saw this article, actually, and, and even before I read the article, it got me thinking about an old piece. It, it went around maybe five years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And even, I don't even remember now. Where someone, I think, wrote more of an opinion piece, or at least an opinion that lacked actual fact, and and said, "Pete, Scotch whiskey producers can run out of peat. That's going to mm. happen." And so, if if you're living in the modern society, you read a headline, you move on, and you think, "Pete's going to deplete," and we're, people, they're going to have a tough time making smoky scotch whiskey. And the fact of the matter is, they really have enough peat to last far longer than, than what that previous article supposed. And, and not just that, there's peat all around the world. So if it ever does deplete, if the peat does deplete, you can get more on the other side of the street. But I will say, and I know this is captured in this article, those distillers who use peat will tell you on site how they've changed their practices somewhat mm-hmm. to to use it in a more sustainable way. And it's so perfect that that's the term that comes up right here. Right. And, and, so, and so I agree with all of that. But when I first read this, I thought, oh, geez, is this going to be another sort of sensationalistic headline mm-hmm. that may have a fair bit of truth to it? But in the end, it was just a, a, a bit clickbaity. You know what I mean? Which is why I like us coming back to the original that quotes and speaks to the authors of the study, as opposed to when you sent me the food and wine, and I thought to myself, okay, let's see how food and wine handles this, thinking, oh, that's a good little headline to get a click on it. Mm-hmm. So to go back to this source of it, where... I think Ryan does a, a very even-handed presentation of this news. I think he does too, and I appreciated, uh, you know, also some of the numbers that were put in front of us. You know, like like I think it was Stringer that pointed it out. Where, you know, oh, here it is where it says surveyors found seventy-five percent of all white oak acres in the U.S. forests should be classified as mature. About 60% had no white oak seedlings present, and mm-hmm. 87% had no white oak saplings present. And, and then you go to read a bit further on, and it's saying this oak is only going to survive with fires and grazing and lot like you've you've got to disturb the area to allow them to survive, which almost seems a bit counterintuitive and and you would think that well you know aren't the aren't whiskey producers and cooperages buying this oak and using it up and blah 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 they're using mature oak 
They're using mm-hmm. mature oak that really isn't giving any seedlings anymore, and there's not room for the new saplings to come in. And so, strangely enough, because these trees are so highly protected for these industries, the forests themselves are not allowed to naturally produce more trees because, I mean, when you want flavor, there's something to be said for old, slow-growth oak that delivers a very particular flavor to bourbon. And if we want to ensure a consistent supply of oak, it seems as if at some point in time there's a potential we may have to look at the oak that's sourced for casks, not just uh, the maturity of the oak, and this is something I've thought about for, for quite some time, you know, that there isn't just white oak in the U.S. There are other kinds of oak in the U.S. It's just the stipulation is you use white oak. And you have brought us right around to my consideration. Oh, gosh, I'm so good. So good. I'm, I'm excellent at this, Jason. Pro, pro move. And it makes me think of our friend Dave Broom. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the things we've talked about with with Dave on One Nation Under Whiskey is what is tradition and what is meant by tradition. And you have the establishment of practices that because they were done a long while ago or because they've been done consistently for a long time they enter into tradition. And what we're clearly seeing here Mm -hmm. is that traditional practices are not working for the volume of the industry that is now in place. Mm -hmm. And I wondered when I first read this, if we would see a reconsideration of what it means to be a bourbon what it means to mature bourbon. Hmm. And I wondered if we might see, and I'm not saying, I know it's not going to happen in 2022, but will it happen in 2024 or 2028 or 2040 or 2060? Will there be a move away from new charred oak? And will there be an allowance for reused casks, mm. which on one hand, here we are sitting thinking about the, the bourbon industry, that would then have a knock-on effect for the scotch industry. That's my biggest concern, <laughs> right? There. That really is my biggest concern. You know, and it's not just because I, you know, my heart is with scotch whiskey, malt whiskeys, you know, if that sort of law were to go into place where, say, bourbon producers could potentially reuse the casks and still call that second cask use product bourbon, well, like you had said, it's going, it's going to have a knock-on effect to scotch whiskey. And so not only will the flavors of bourbon be changed, but the direction of flavors that we enjoy in Scotch whiskey will be ch- changed as well because they're going to need other casks to mature this whiskey in. So it's not just one industry that would be affected. It would be both industries that are affected. And, you know, I think 
I think if we stepped back a little bit and I mean, granted, I'm not in forestry, so I don't know what percentage of white oak to red oak to black oak to, you know, all these different oak uh, um, varieties uh, there are. But I, it does make me wonder if, well, no, you know what? As I say that, if the bourbon industry said, you know what, it still has to be new charred oak, but we'll include different types of oak. Mm-hmm. then that will also have a knock-on effect to scotch whiskeys, going to change the overall flavor profile. So do you think we're, we're, you know, 10, 15, 20 years away, potentially 40 years away from seeing a significant swing in flavor on both sides of the pond here? Potentially. <laughs> That's the exact <laughs> word I was going to use was... Potentially. It's because it's one of those things where I feel like tradition grapples with innovation, grapples with real world solutions. Mm. And so if you look at the issues surrounding white oak, you say, okay, how do we solve those issues around white oak? How do we make it so that white oak can be sustained? can grow well and successfully in forests. And if we can't pull that off, we then look at tradition. Okay, well, what if we move away from just new charred oak and we do allow reused barrels? Or then we move away from that and we say, well, okay, what if we allow other types of oak Mm -hmm. to be used? And it doesn't just have to be white oak. I think all of those legs of the stool will come under close examination. And I think the decision will be made around the least destructive, the least problematic the one that will affect the bottom line the least. And, you know, which which one are you willing to give up or which one are you willing to adapt? There's words in here like sustainability and climate change mm-hmm. and invasive insects. <laughs> those, are, yeah. those are all things that are not just affecting the bourbon industry. Those are affecting enterprise around the world and will need to be seriously grappled with. That's going to come into play here as well. So I I think we're at the very beginning of this journey. And, And to hazard a guess at what it'll look like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, I'm I'm not comfortable doing that Mm. but it's and and again to speak to the piece here where they're talking about distillers getting in on this act yeah there's there's significant conversation and action to be put in place here but a distiller is not going to fix climate change the state of kentucky is not going to fix climate change alone it's going to be a much greater enterprise to, well, to solve one part of this problem. Right. And, you know, the, the whole climate 
change and invasive species and displaced species due to climate change. Um, you know, that, that, that's a whole other ball of wax. I mean, that's going to affect crops. I mean, that, that's going to go back to the grain. And so... Right, hundred percent. Right, so and it's going to affect the water that's used in distillation. Exactly. Everything <laughs> and fermentation, uh, the yeast, and, and how that thrives. I mean, it's it's yeah. just right. Everything's connected, right? All we need is one butterfly to flap his wings, and, and things change. So, um, my hope is, and I could be right here, and I could be wrong here, but my hope is that distilleries, be they here in the U.S be they over in Scotland or, or in other parts of the world, my hope is that they are now testing other woods out. And I know, you know, from not the last time we visited the distillery, but maybe it was in 2017 or so when we visited Spring Bank and they just received in uh, a bunch of walnut casks and chestnut casks. And the idea was put spirit in there see what happens. What's it going to look like? The end result as it stands right now, the way the SWA has written the Scotch whiskey rules is that that will never be Scotch whiskey. But isn't it nice to know that the distillery is at least playing around with it Mm. to see what happens? Why they did that, I don't know. But if they did it for the idea of, hey, we need to have a contingency plan 20, 30, 40 years from now, It'd be nice to have an understanding now what things may look like then, right? And I think it speaks to what you said earlier in this episode about the need for data. If you're going to be a distiller who goes to a governing body, whether it be bourbon or scotch, and you want to say, look, we need to be using these other materials, these other woods, Mm -hmm. you want to have some data in your back pocket where you can then say, Here's what we're seeing happening with maturation, with evaporation, with flavor. Mm. These are important data points that we can put in front of you who will sit on high and make a decision for our industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, right? And I, and I think that's key. I think that's hugely important. And I, if I was maybe not an American bourbon producer, but you know, as sitting here, if I was a, an American producer, I'd be looking very closely at what someone like Westland has done with Garyana. Mm. And I don't think Garyana is an answer to, to anybody's no, problems. No, no, no. no <laughs> right? that's potentially Westland, a problem. Westland you can only that, use it. Right? You can only use so much of that. Yeah. Right. And Matt Hoffman has, has said the same thing, right? It, it's not a solution to any problems, but I think it starts to open the door mm. on what else is usable. What else could we introduce to tradition, to grow tradition, to right. evolve tradition, to sustain new traditions. But the the Gary Oak, the Garyana Oak, is such a wonderful example of what a distillery can do when they're free from particular stipulations, right? While A, Gary Oak is scarce, and B, is incredibly impactful in flavor. And so they don't, you know, normally, you know, their Garyana oak has a smaller proportion of Gary oak matured whiskey in there, right? Because it's so impactful in flavor. But the point is, because they don't have that stipulation of new charred 
white oak for their malt whiskey, they're able to play around a little bit and still create wonderful whiskeys. What if that stipulation went away with bourbon, but bourbon producers still wanted the bourbon and taste like bourbon? They could do a marriage of 75% new charred oak, 25% refill oak, or, you know, something like that. Like, and then all of a sudden, you, you, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you've got, <laughs> you have new flavors coming about, which from our perspective is really exciting. From a traditionalist perspective, not necessarily so. There's the legs of the stool, yeah. right? And, and I do wonder if, if us with our Scotch proclivities are much more at peace with bourbon using 75% new char and 25% refill, whereas somebody who's born and raised on bourbon is going to say bourbon is and always will be 100% new charred oak. Uh-huh. Don't put your scotch fingers into my bourbon yep. pie. Yep. Right? I get it. Yeah. But, but if you then say to that same traditionalist, look, your white oak that's traditional to your beloved bourbon is in a bit of difficulty. You're going to have to change something along the lines. What are you comfortable mm. changing? Mm-hmm. Right? That, that's going to be the beginning of a very real conversation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It really, it really piques my interest. What is tradition? And, and, and look at this. Gosh, I'm going to make this my final point. Mm. All it takes is the flourish of a pen or the tapping of fingers on a keyboard for long-held traditions to change. Look at the introduction, rightly or wrongly, to tequila casks in the maturation of scotch. There was a period Mm. two years ago where that was not a thing. You were not allowed to do that. Bureaucrats, with the flourish of a pen and the tapping of some keys... You are now allowed to do that. Tradition can change very easily, very quickly when it needs to. And my final word... I will be watching this space. My final word is, there's a reason that we've used new chart oak, and that's because the forestry lobbied for such a change to the, uh, the rules and regulations around bourbon, Right. And it makes sense that the Scotch Whiskey Association allowed tequila and mezcal casks to mature their whiskey in because the members of the Scotch Whiskey Association are from Diageo, are from Beam, are from Bacardi, and all of these large companies own tequila distilleries or mezcal distilleries, and it's going to benefit them. That's great for them, but in the end... And I'm not trying to say that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's likely the reason why the bureaucrats can say, you know what, let's let these casks go. But in the end, we've tasted some really good Scotch whiskeys that have either had, well, definitely not full maturation, but but have had a tequila finish, a mezcal finish, that Kilhoman and mezcal that was like apple bramble. Uh, just Just amazing because of the mezcal cast. So... It changes the tradition, it 
provides more flavor that you can get out of a whiskey. But I would postulate that bourbon drinkers are a bit more tied to their tradition, potentially, than Scotch whiskey producers are when it comes from a maturation standpoint. Today's episode brought to you by the word potentially. (laughs) (laughs) You you and I have both thrown that around. We've sprinkled it throughout this podcast. Potentially. It's our uh, our version of allegedly. Allegedly. Potentially. None of this may come to pass. We We did use the word potentially if you listened carefully. Listen. If you would like to send in a news article like David did to, to get our interest, to get coverage in uh, in a future episode of Extra Extra, you can email us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You can send it to info at singlecastnation.com. It will make its way to us. This has been the level of conversation I thought we were going to enjoy when I first saw these articles coming in Mm -hmm. and we could keep chatting about this. And I'm sure we will keep chatting about this as we see changes being implemented along the way. But for this moment and this episode, I'm going to say thank you to you, Joshua, for the conversation. Thank you, sir. And thank you to our dear listeners for joining us. Do go check out the Lane Report. Do go give Ryan Van Velzer some views on American White Oak struggles to regenerate. And until the next episode, I have been Jason Johnston Yellen. Cheers. I've been Joshua Hatton. Cheers. The assessment says that means are that means the assessor <laughs> the assessment <laughs> says <laughs> you were doing so well so well i i stayed out of it i wasn't an asshole for a change no then you got in your asshole. head you're still an asshole then you you're then just, you just got being in your there. head i'm gonna get in your asshole in a minute hey now Put a little acorn up there, bury me. I'll be a, I'll be a, a white oak for people. <laughs> yeah. A sapling or a seedling. <laughs> the assessment says. <laughs>